prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dude, burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go no i just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers oh what about that now then everybody i am tom ramsey and welcome to the edge coaching podcast this podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Good morning. Welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast. Episode number 29. Um, today's episode is on gut problems in sport performance. Um, we're going to give you a little bit of an insight today in terms of um, some common problems with the gut and gastrointestinal stress and what effects this can have on um, on sports performance and general well-being. Um, it's something that's not talked about enough and something that admittedly self-confessed I didn't know about too much until the last kind of couple of years where I've been doing a little bit more a little bit more research on it um so yeah hopefully we'll give you a bit more insight today um before we go through all that though uh let's reel off the the normal formalities um I'll set the scene um it's one o'clock in the afternoon so yeah, if I said good morning at the start of the podcast, it's not the morning. <laughs> I normally do my, my podcasts in the morning, um, but today it's an afternoon job. Um, today I have um, been up and do a, done a few client phone calls. Um, it's the 17th of January today, and I'll probably be posting this, this podcast the same day. I've done a few phone calls this morning, and then the sun was shining, and I'd planned to do about an hour on the um, indoor bike today, doing some sweet spot efforts um, as part of my training, but uh, the sun was shining. It was very fresh. It was about three degrees, but the sun was out and there was a blue sky and I thought, I do not want to be inside. I want to get some good daylight exposure and get some sun on the skin. So I did um, an outdoor ride today and admittedly, because I was fairly time crunched, I only had time for about an hour or 70 minute ride. Um, I took the cross bike out and did a little bit of off-road and then a little bit of road on the way back. Um, but to be honest, uh, you know, even though I was cleaning my bike for a good 20, 30 minutes after I got back and there was all the faff involved, I'm so glad I went out because in my opinion, um, riding outside is, is so much better than riding inside um when especially when you got the right day for it so i just came back um had some scrambled egg on toast and uh yeah i've just sat down to record this podcast now uh, i've got a couple of hours spare now before i go off and coach some clients this afternoon um but yeah we're into the thick of it um and uh and yeah i i must i must admit these podcasts of late have been 
a little bit on the back burner, um, certainly not a priority of mine. And it's always in the back of my mind thinking, oh, I've got some topics I want to talk about. Um, I want to sit down and do a podcast and keep keep the content rolling for, for you podcast listeners. But admittedly, things get in the way. Um, I have other priorities going on. And, um, and yeah, this is obviously one of those things that um, isn't one of my main priorities. I just fit it in when I can. Um, and I, although I come to Monday morning and I've got a lot of to-dos uh, for the week, um, I know that if I don't do it on a Monday, I'm not going to do it for the rest of the week. So I thought I'd get it done. Um, I wonder how many of you have got New Year's resolutions. Um, I know it's you can't classify this as the New Year any, um, still, but but equally it's the fir- first podcast that we've done since the New Year. And um, yeah, I wonder if how many of you have kind of set some resolutions and also how many of you have already broken those resolutions. I was looking at some statistics um, the the uh, early this morning before this podcast just to kind of um, get a little bit of information on this kind of thing. And I realized that something like 89% of people um, by the 15th of January had already broken their New Year's resolutions, which I just think is astonishing. Um, And it just shows, um, it either shows how crap people's willpower is or equally um, how crap their goal setting is in terms of their New Year's resolutions. Um, I personally haven't set any new year's resolutions um that being said i did take it upon myself to kind of reflect um when it came to the new year and pull out a couple of things that um i kind of knew that i would benefit in changing if you know what i mean um so there's a couple of things in my lifestyle that i've noticed i've started to do which directly affect my health or my performance in a negative way and um you know these aren't huge things i think they're just like little daily habits that i've got into which which i kind of know in the back of my mind aren't ideal um and i think it's one of those things where you can quite quickly lead to a a slippery slope as it were um and i don't want them to get out of hand or cause a lot of um a lot of you know, a, a big negative impact in my life. So I thought, right, let's new, use the new year as a time where I try and um, nip these in the bud and, and change my habits. So these um, little habits, I've actually, um, I've done three and, I, and, I've, and I've stuck them on, um, I've, I've put them on the notepad on my phone here. I'm just pulling it up now. Um. The first one is to drink less coffee (laughs) and uh, it's, I apologize if I keep, um, I've got a bit of a croaky throat, I I might keep um, clearing it now and again. It's not COVID, did a a, a lateral flow test a couple of days ago and I did one this morning as well, Um, just just your standard croaky throat. So the first one is is drink less coffee. Now, one of the things I will say is is, is whenever you're making little um, resolutions or targets to hit, you need to make sure that they're quantifiable. So the simple act of saying drink less co- coffee is not uh, a good 
um, a good way of setting a goal, setting a target or something you want to achieve because there's no way of quantifying that particularly. Um, I need to be more specific in that. So rather than just saying drink less coffee, I've put drink less coffee and then I put in brackets um, no more than three cups a day. So typically I have noticed and I've done a bit of uh, calculation on this that um, on a standard day uh, last year, I was having two cups of coffee in a morning, two cups of coffee in an afternoon. Um, now, I've kind of realized that that's a little bit excessive. Um, and uh, and yeah, I've, I've kind of... So, so going back a step, what I'd normally do is I'd have one about 90 minutes after waking, just a black coffee. Um, and then after breakfast, about 10 o'clock-ish, I would have another coffee. And then I would have another one at like just after lunch, about one, half one. And then typically I'd have another one in the afternoon, about three-ish. Um, I've realized that's a bit excessive. I've also realized that I'm getting to the point where sometimes if I've had a bad night's sleep, whatever it might be, I'll be reaching for another one, thinking I need to have another shot of espresso or whatever it is to, to perk me up, as it were. And it's getting a slippery slope, and I want to nip that in the bud. So I've just made a note here to say no more than three cups a day. Um, and I've also made another little note under that to say that this should normally um, be around two cups a day. So what I'm doing is I'm just weaning myself off it gradually. Um at the start of January, um, I had a deload week where I wasn't training particularly uh, hard in the week, and I had a full four days without any caffeine or coffee. Um, and um, just to kind of reassure myself that I, c I can do that and I'm not dependent on coffee. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a couple of um, withdrawal symptoms, which... Um, is normal and doesn't mean that I'm addicted to caffeine or whatever it is, but typically you have um, a couple of headaches or a little bit of headaches um, in the day if you cut it out. Um, and uh, yeah, that came about, but it was fine and, and I didn't feel any better, but I didn't feel any worse. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, now straight away, I've gone down to two cups of coffee a day and it feels easy to do that. It, it's not, it's not been a, an issue trying to do that. Um, the second little habit that I've changed is <clears throat> um, I've started to read more. Um, I've put down in my notes that I need to read two hours every Monday. Um, now, I used to do this religiously. So I fresh out of uni, um, I knew the importance of reading, um, specifically reading like the latest journal articles, going on to PubMed, le reading all the latest journal articles. Now, what's happened over time is that, um, and I always used to dedicate a certain amount of time on a Monday to, to do that. What's happened over time is as that as work's got busier, I've done, I have cut out that big chunk of reading that I do on a Monday. That's not to say that I don't still read the, the latest journal articles, but it's very easy to just get into, um, into a state where you're just keeping up with little bits and bats and you don't have a dedicated reading time. So what I've done now is I've I've said that every single Monday morning um, or afternoon, at some point during the day, I will have a two-hour window where I will do um, two hours of, of, of intensive reading. And normally what I'll do is I'll pull off two articles 
and I'll go through them um, and, and, and read them or I'll read a book um, around the subject area, uh, you know, a, a sports physiology book or a psychology book and learn a little bit about the field. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been really enjoyable. It's my kind of mindfulness. So it gives me a time to step back and, and just um, just just uh, kind of, you know, involve, get involved in the book and, and not worry about anything else for a little bit of time. And uh, obviously it helps me and it helps my business as well. Um, and then the last little habit that I want to change, again, this is not a typical New Year's resolution, is I've just put down set deadlines slash project plan. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I did start to get bad at um, later in last year is to not have a certain cutoff period where I stop working in the later part of the day. So for example, I would find myself um, answering emails or um, uh, you know, answering WhatsApp messages from clients or taking phone calls while I'm cooking tea, for example, or after tea when I'm supposed to be sat there relaxing with my wife and my child. I was answering emails and so on. Um, now, what I've started to do is I've started to say that um, every day I I work a certain amount of hours um, and I distribute those hours um, quite flexibly depending on what training I'm doing, for, for example. Um, so if I'm not training in the day, then I'll typically work from like 7 a.m. till whatever it might be, 4 p.m., um, and I'll have a couple of breaks within that to walk the dog or to cook lunch or do a bit of DIY, whatever it might be. But I'll always work a certain amount of hours. And I'll say to my wife that after a certain time, I've stopped work and, and so on. Um, and yeah, it's making sure that I have a cutoff period and making sure that I um, stick to that is quite important for my, my mental health. But also what I've started to do is make sure that um, I have dead deadlines within that. So, so for example, before four o'clock when I finish work, I'm going to do these five training plans and respond to all of these emails. Um, as opposed to what I used to do, which is basically just work as much as I can <laughs> every single day, do as much as I possibly can. Um, and then what will happen is things will get in the way. I might not prioritize the right things and then it all gets a bit wishy-washy. And regardless of how much I've done, even if I've worked efficiently, I'll always feel like I've not done enough. And that's one of my <clears throat> one of my personality traits actually is to, to never feel like I've done enough and get to the end of the day and, and always feel like I could have done more. And that's not good for my, my well-being. So if I set myself... Um, these deadlines, but also set myself these regimented um, kind of, uh, you know, start and stop work times, then yeah, it really helps with my efficiency and, and um, priorities with, with regards to work. Um, but yeah, so that's a bit of an insight into my kind of habits that I've changed for new year. I wonder what yours are. And uh, yeah, I'd be interested to know feel free to drop me a message if, if you've got any, especially if you're one of my clients. I mean, I've had uh, this discussion with some of my clients in terms of if there's anything they wanted to change in the new year, but um, not all of them. So if you want to drop me a message and let me know, or you can keep them to yourself. It's completely up to you. <laughs> um, okay. Today's podcast 
Um, <clears throat> today's podcast is about gut problems. Um, now, again, like, like I said at the start, it's very, very much a um, uh, not appreciated subject. Um, but it's something that affects a lot of people, whether they know it or not. Um, now, in terms of the terms that I'm going to be using, when I am talking about the gut, what I'm really talking about is the human digestive system. Um, and the human digestive system consists of the gastrointestinal tract plus the accessory organs of digestion. And digestion involves the breakdown of food into smaller and smaller components until they can be absorbed and assimilated into the body. Now, I'm going to read a little quote here, and I'll see if you know who it is. Um, I needed to take a dump. I could not hold it anymore. I felt it on the downhill, and I just had to stop. It was not possible to continue. Do you know who it is? You're right. Tom DeMoulin. So that was likely one of the most recognized topics of um, the the Giro that year when that the, the GC leader um, was forced to stop by the side of the road to unload on stage 16. And that lost him two minutes um, on his main GC rivals. Now, you know, we, we talk about these, this... Um, uh, and, and a lot of it might be you know, quite a jokey subject to a lot of you. Um, and a lot of you might even pass it off as something that's fairly insignificant. But I can guarantee you that, um, I can guarantee that nearly all of you listening to this podcast will have had some GI issues um, before. Whether that directly affects your performance or not, I don't know. Um but even if you haven't necessarily thought that it's affected your performance or recognized that effect on your performance, I can, I can kind of guarantee that it, it, there will have been some, some things going on which, which could have been prevented or, or helped. And some of the things I'm going to talk about in this podcast will definitely um, potentially trigger some, some certain aspects of this which will help you in the future. Um, or that you can reflect on in the past. Now, gastrointestinal problems, um, like what Tom DeMoulin had, um, are less associated with cyclists due to the relatively low impact and, and smooth action and the sport. Um, and to be honest, GI problems are usually more associated with runners due to the up and down motion and, and the jostling of the bowels. However, it's not just the movement of the body which can upset the gut. Um, and I'm sure if you have, haven't yet personally had any issues, you won't have to go far around your cycling mates to find one unfortunate soul who's experienced the symptoms of an unhappy gut. However, um, I, I definitely wouldn't make it a conversation starter. <laughs> um, GI problems during training and racing can include a plethora 
of different symptoms, which include such sensations like stomach pain, bloating, uh, acid reflux, nausea, um, burping, passing gas, so farting, uh, vomiting, diarrhea, lower abdomen pain, cramping, and for sure the sudden need to defecate. Um, there's been many situations in my uh, in my cycling um, uh, kind of uh, in in my years of cycling where I've, where I've personally experienced this, and then also had clients who have um, experienced this as well. Um, I remember trying to meet a client on a ride one day, um, and often when I meet a client on a ride. Um, I we do the like a WhatsApp live location kind of thing, um, just to um, just so that I know where he is and he knows where I am when we're going to meet. Um, and I was at my meeting point, um, and I was checking what I pulled my phone out, check WhatsApp, and he's still about thirty minutes away. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And I kept seeing him um, kind of ride on the WhatsApp live location, and then he was stopping. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Anyway, um, I gave him his due and, and waited for him. Anyway, I got a text from him to say it's not happening. And I replied saying, what's up? You're only about 10 minutes away. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> um, he had massive, massive gut problems. And uh, yeah, there's a reason I've kept this name anonymous. He had to stop um, in the hedgerows and have a dump about two or three times on the way to meet me. Um, and he was completely open and honest. And he said, look, this is what's happened. Um, luckily, you know, like all my clients were good friends. We had a laugh and joke about it. Um, and then reflecting on it um, later on, we kind of uh, realized what it was that he did wrong and um, and acted on it um, for, for future reference. But and that, that, that's one example. And imagine, just imagine if you turned up to a race um, and you were doing a few warm-up laps or you were doing your warm-up protocol and, and you were going through that experience. It would be horrendous. And with all the training and the, the de dedication we put ourselves through, you know, to have something like that happen you on, happen you on race day or equally just, you know, affecting a training session can be quite significant. Now, I personally haven't had that uh, ever affect me but um, I have had things like uh, bloating I have had things like stomach pain I have had things like uh, burping on rides and uh, yeah I mean normally I can relate it to something that I know I shouldn't have done but it just so happened to be that way so for example uh, one very typical example would be I've just had a big lunch or a lunch and then, you know, I was planning on doing a ride in two or three hours time um, and and thus letting that lunch settle. But my afternoon plans have changed and my diaries changed a little bit and I had to just ride a lot sooner than I thought. And therefore that lunch hasn't digested properly. And I end up, you know, for the first half an hour of that ride feeling really bloated, burping a lot, farting a lot and so on. Um and yeah, it's not nice. Um, in a training ride, it's not nice. In a race, it's horrific. And I'm luckily, touch wood, I've never had to race line that race in that scenario, 
because I'm very regimented with planning my um, nutritional protocol. Um, and uh, but yeah, it, it's for those of you who have who have had that happen to you, it's not a nice situation at all. Um, there's not just the short term discomfort, though, which is the issue. Um, one of the main concerns of GI distress is how it can affect your recovery. And this is an important point. If you are bloated, then you will likely have um, a loss of appetite following the ride and thus may not want to eat when you when you when you need to kind of post race or post uh, training. And there's also a lot of research to suggest that if or when you do eat when bloated, then you may actually benefit less from the food that you do ingest as opposed to if you were if you weren't bloated. Um, if you have diarrhea or sickness, then you certainly won't be processing the nutrients um, well enough to help you recover either. Um, these problems, though, they can occur at any time to anyone. Um, they are more common at both ends of the kind of volume or intensity spectrum. So either um, ultra long endurance distances or very short intense high intensity maximum efforts that's when they normally occur more um just due to the the gut being under more stress at both ends of that spectrum and what i mean by that is for example if you were to go out on a one hour very very easy ride um with a fairly full stomach it wouldn't be anywhere near as problematic as if you did one hour of incredibly hard intervals that also being said, um, that one hour easy ride would be um, less open to these issues than a five or six hour easy ride with GI issues um, with, with, with these problems. Because um, again, the, the, G, the gut is under more stress when it's out for more prolonged periods of time. Just have a sip of my juice, not coffee this time. <laughs> Okay, so what are the causes of gut problems? So there seems to be two main reasons of why exercise can bring on gut problems. Um, the first one is activity of the nervous system. So the body's autonomic nervous system has two main components. And they are the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, one action of the sympathetic nervous system is to reduce gut function, including movement through the stomach and the intestines, digesting food, absorption of nutrients from the gut. Um, but exercise itself activates this system to some degree. Um, and increasing exercise intensities and or duration exacerbates this significantly. In this process, when the gut function is reduced, which prevents food and fluids from leaving the stomach fast enough, and it's this which makes the um, athletes experience burping, bloating, nausea, reflux, and vomiting. So, 
it's this increased activity of the nervous system which, which causes this. Um, the other thing we need to consider is the reduced blood flow to the gut. And this is one of the things that I think is one of the most Im um, important factors or, or um, influencing factors. Lack of blood supply restricts oxygen and nutrients to the muscles lining the gut as well as the cells which are responsible for distributing uh, and absorbing the nutrients so as a result the cells of the gut lining can become damaged and the junctions between them start to break down as well as malabsorption the lining of the gut can also become inflamed which is why some athletes can report blood in their stools, for example, after exercise. Um, this function is less of an issue during shorter, high-intense uh, bouts of exercise. However, the longer blood flow to the gut is reduced, the worse the damage becomes. So, for example, in, in long endurance performance. So essentially, you know, if you're going out and you're doing a seven, eight hour endurance ride or endurance event, there is very, very little blood flow to the gut because it's all trying to um, propel the, the working muscles. And that's when you get this malabsorption. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, the, the, the problems that occur with that. Um, so helping to prevent exercise induced GI problems um, as much as I would love to give you a kind of one size fits all prevention method which would guarantee no gut problems during your selected event unfortunately as ever there is a lot of differences amongst population and what works for one person certainly will not work for another and if you have never experienced problems in the past that may suggest that you're doing things right um however i would guess that no one listening to this podcast has never experienced any problems um it might also suggest that your go your gi systems are, are able to cope with this level of stress well or better than others um without much problem and and yeah that's another key point is that some people will just be more um prone to to these problems than others i've got clients for example that um you can't eat anything at all up to four hours before before a session otherwise they just get really really bad um gi issues i've got other clients who can have a big breakfast and within an hour do an intense interval session and it not affect them whatsoever. And if you take that big breakfast out or you make it smaller, they actually underperform. So everyone's very different. Um, I think personally, for me, I'm somewhere in the middle. That being said, I know for sure when I was younger, when I was 18, 19 years old, I had l even less problems than when I do now. I remember when I was like 17, 18 years old, <laughs> thinking back now, it's only just um, just come to my mind now. I used to get home from school at about four o'clock in the evening, um, in the afternoon. I used to do an hour's solid homework. 
And then I used to have my tea at about five o'clock. Massive evening meal, you know, whatever it was, chicken stew, beef stew, chicken... <coughs> oh dear, coughed on the podcast, sorry. That caught me by surprise, that one. Um, Whatever it was, I'd have my tea at about five. And then at about half five, my mate would call around and we'd go out and do a mountain bike ride for a couple of hours every single night of the week, you know. And, and when I say mountain bike ride, that was, you know, both of us ripping each other's legs off and, and doing um, doing some hard intervals. So if I was to do that now, it definitely wouldn't work. I can't I can't have a full evening meal and then within, within half an hour go and do some intervals. No chance. Um, so, you know, my gut my gi system has adapted since then um in in what sounds like a negative way um i think part of that is age i think i think usually younger individuals can can um withstand more um and yeah if you look in the literature that that kind of makes sense as well um but um but yeah it is something to consider everyone is different and 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 not only is everyone different, but you now might be different to you in five years' time. So it's it's a constant constant review. There is some key tips though that I would um, uh, definitely try and consider. So I'm going to go through seven key key facts that um, are key things to consider when it comes to helping your gut and helping your GI system around exercise the first one is to avoid dehydration so this is absolutely number one on the list your first line of defense against stomach pain and pit stops is proper hydration we all know that dehydration can spell disaster on performance but it also massively increases the risks of gi distress um, issues when exercising so make sure you keep topped up on fluids especially in the heat um, and going back to Tom Demoulin at the Giro that was um, certain I think his issues were far uh, greater because of the, the the probably at that stage in the in the in the tour um, in the Giro probably in uh, influenced by his the amount of dehydration that was going on um point number two is to give it time now before competition or hard training give your stomach ample time to break down and absorb a meal especially after a heavy meal everybody is different here but as a general guide you should leave at least two hours after your last big meal before exercising um, a more modern way of thinking though and what i advocate doing is breaking those main meals down into smaller meals so rather than three huge meals and fitting the timing around that actually breaking those meals down into like five smaller meals eating more regular intervals but small portions and this will mean that you won't have to leave as long before um, stepping on your bike. Um, a little side note that's just come to my mind now um, <clears throat> is the influence that other things can have on digestion. So I've said give it time. So for example, 
let's just um, say if you have a chicken breast, 100 grams of rice and some veg at um, 12 o'clock for your lunch, you might likely have to wait till 2pm before you can do any exercise. It might even be 3pm depending on what your gut is like at absorbing that food. However, a little side note is that you can manipulate that time quite a lot depending on what you're doing. So a very simple way of looking at it is um, movement is is great. So something that's going to increase uh, absorption, increase digestion is to move more. If you have that same meal, the chicken breast, the 100 grams of rice, the veg, and you sit on your ass for two hours, it might not be digested. However, if you have that meal and you go for a brisk, a moderate walk for half an hour straight after that meal, and this is a fact, I've read about it recently, you can increase, uh, sorry, decrease the time of digestion by up to 20% just by going for a bit of a walk after that meal. You know, think about our Christmas dinner. Think about when you've just had a huge Christmas dinner. I don't know if you're like me, but one of the worst things I can do when I've just had a big meal is to just sit there and do for call. If I go for a bit of a walk, get some fresh air, it makes me feel tons better. Not only because of the fresh air and getting out of this stuffy room, but also just to um, just to help that digestion and get get the food through the system. It really does help. So consider that when you're um, when you're wanting things to digest quickly. Point number three is to listen to your body. So what you consume pre-training or racing will always have some sort of impact on your performance and your stomach. Um, And sometimes it will be more significant than others. So the trick here is to listen to your body and know what's good and what's not so good, both regarding performance and how you feel after the performance keep a track of the experience use a diary use training peaks whatever it might be and keep a tab on on the training days when you've experienced gi issues write down the symptoms that you get from these gi issues and 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 try and correlate this to what you consumed and or drank the day or the night before so for example on Monday, you might do a fantastic training session, felt mint, great, um, and you had, I don't know, porridge for breakfast. On Wednesday, you did exactly the same session or a similar session at the same time of day. You had a different breakfast. For example, you had an omelette um, and you had some GI issues. You need to make note of that and think, okay, that day, I did all the, the the other things I could control were the same in terms of time of day, in terms of hydration, but I had a different breakfast. Make note of that. And then if that happens again, when you've had exactly the same breakfast as that, you might start to realize that that's not a good breakfast. That's not a good food for you personally to have two hours before that session. Or you might have had exactly the same breakfast, the same time of day training, whatever it might be but you've actually linked it back to the evening meal you had the night before. So 
the, the the session that you felt good in, you had um, a tuna and rice dish the night before, but the session you didn't feel good in, you had some red meat. Okay, well, that red meat's clearly not digested uh, fast enough over the 12 hours before before the session. So you need to, to, to consider that for later for later life. Um, but keeping a track on that will, will definitely help for sure. Um, point number four is to keep your diet simple. Now, and it's something that a lot of people don't quite grasp, the difference between a diet for health and a diet for performance. A good healthy diet includes loads of different colors, loads of different textures, lots of fiber, high protein, good fats, um, and a lot of variance. However, around exercise, the priority should shift. And it should shift from this, um, from what I've just described with all this different color and textures and fiber to a more simple diet, which focuses on fueling the performance and ease of digestion. So around exercise, you should be consuming easily digestible carbohydrates, which are low in fiber and low in fat. And um, multiple, multiple studies have linked meals that are high in fiber and fats with GI distress. Um, and a, a small point as well is that you should never, ever try anything on race day that you haven't tried in practice. Now, going back, um, a very um, simple, um, a very kind of, uh, I'm thinking of an example. So for, exa- for example, on race morning, um, you know, if we think about the healthiest breakfast I could think about right now, let's think, okay, a three egg omelet with some vegetables in there, some courgette, some, um, leeks and some onions. Okay. So we've got like a real healthy breakfast. We've got some good healthy protein. We've got some good healthy fat. It's fairly low in carbohydrates and it's got some vegetables in there. Nice, healthy breakfast with some spinach on the side. Now, that's great for health, you know, for for Joe Bloggs, who's sedentary all day, sitting in his office all morning, not doing any exercise. That's great. Fantastic. However, um, for an individual who at 10 o'clock in the morning is doing an intense training session, it's probably not the best thing to, to select. And actually selecting something that's going to digest a lot easier, a lot quicker, and might not be as... Um, potent in nutrient content and vitamins and minerals but will um, do what it needs to do in terms of providing easily digestible carbohydrates um, and a little bit of protein would be a lot more appropriate so for example some porridge oats with um, some whey protein would be a good option Um, for example some rice krispies with um Again, some some protein in there as well, like a whey a whey shake over your rice krispies, or some rice cakes with some sliced banana and some scrambled egg, maybe something like that. Something that's really easy to digest and and and, uh, and works well. Um, as an example, yeah, as I just said, something that works well for me on early morning training sessions is two scrambled egg whites. Um two rice cakes with a little bit of jam and sliced banana on those rice cakes. Now, 
on the face of it, that's a very, very low calorie breakfast. Something that's, um, I think what I've just mentioned there is only about 150 calories, something like that. And it only provides me about 12 grams of protein and not that high in carbohydrates. However, for a fairly short session where there's not a massive demand for carbohydrates because it's only 40 minutes or an hour, whatever it might be, I don't need a massive, massive influx of carbs. Um, I just need a little bit to kind of top up my uh, glycogen stores and to curb hunger. And I find that that's, that's perfect. And I can eat that. And within 20 minutes, it feels like I'm not eating anything. It feels like I'm completely empty in the stomach and I can train hard knowing that that's completely digested and is not going to come back again. Point number five, which um, is quite ironic based on some of my some of my uh, New Year's resolutions or habits that I've wanted to change, is to avoid excessive caffeine. Um, caffeine increases performance and a pre-ride espresso or, or, or strong coffee can, can certainly help you get um, out of the door sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say you, you, you shouldn't have, um, shouldn't have caffeine for, before you go for a ride. However, caffeine can sometimes lead to some stomach problems. At the end of the day, caffeine is a stimulant and, um, and yeah, it stimulates certain muscles, um, in the gut, uh, and, and, and that, um, that get food moving through the digestive tract. Um, and, and these, these muscles can kind of, um, cause automatic contraction of these muscles. Sorry, this, the caffeine <laughs> went a bit back on myself. The caffeine can, um, stimulate these muscles in the GI tract, which can, uh, basically cause, cause these GI problems. Um, something that hasn't affected me due to overconsumption of caffeine but um but yeah it certainly can affect some people um the other key point is to go easy on the volume uh you are more likely to experience gi problems during long and hard sessions this is probably due to the combination of dehydration elevated body temperature and increased blood supply to the working muscles um so yeah, go easy on the volume. If you don't need to do more than three hours, don't do three hours because your GI system will be um, inhibited after that kind of um, that kind of volume. Um, <clears throat> the last little comment, uh, number seven, is to research. Uh, sorry, is to research. Is to manage stress. What I was gonna say is research has linked these physiological problems with your GI tract um, and its ability to function optimally and adequately. Training and racing is a great way to take out your stress in your performance. So this should come hand in hand. But if you feel as though you're stressing while training, it's likely not going to end well. So those races where you're massively stressed, thinking about lots of different things, you're in a, a highly um, intense environment, 
um, and you feel like there's a lot of anxiety, those are the types of races where you're more likely to experience GI issues. So a bit of a summary then. Um, Exercise-induced GI problems appear to be caused by two main processes, which are increased sympathetic nervous system activity and restricted blood flow to the gut. These cause either a reduction in gut function or physical damage to its lining. The higher the intensity and longer the duration of exercise, especially in hot weathers um, and in and dehydration and consuming foods and fluids above tolerance levels tends to increase the risk of the problems occurring. Maintaining optimal hydration status, avoiding excessive caffeine and stress, and paying attention to what and when you're consuming certain foods are all methods of reducing the risk of GI problems. Before we round off the podcast, um, I'm just going to answer a couple of questions that were asked via my Instagram. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm wanting to definitely keep this podcast under the hour, so I'm going to I'm going to just answer two of the questions that I found, which I think will have a um, a good binding on, well, what I'm saying is two of the questions that somebody asked is probably very relatable to what a lot of people are asking or what a lot of people are thinking. So I'm going to answer these two. Um, the first person asks, um, everybody cites bike handling skills as something to practice. What should what do they mean by that, and and what should I be doing? Um, and this was asked by a triathlete. Now, <clears throat> bike handling skills um, for a triathlete specifically. If I'm honest, as a triathlete, you don't need to be um, doing loads with regards to handling because you're not going to be turning incredibly tight corners. You're not going to be um, riding, depending on what type of triathlon you do, you're not going to be riding in a pack that often. Um, and a lot of it just goes hand in hand with with time trial riding in that you're, you're riding solo and it's more about the effort. So for you specifically, bike, bike handling skills will be a lot to do with um, how you produce the power in the, in the position. So practicing things like coming in and out of the TT position, um, how to take a drink while in TT position, um, if you're, you've got a bottle on your frame, for example, um, and things like that. That being said, if you are a triathlete that does do kind of um, draft legal uh, triathlon and you will be racing in a group, then then learning how to race in a group most efficiently and, and conserve your energy in a group would be very, very beneficial. And also how to navigate corners um, and turns with speed and with accuracy, taking the appropriate lines, knowing how much to lean over by and so on. Um, I'm a big advocate for skills, skills-based stuff. Um, but to put simply, to put simply, I think for triathletes in general, one of the worst things triathletes can do is to do um, the majority of their training indoors. And I think it's something that they definitely fall um, fall foul by is just to do like 
nearly all of their bike volume indoors on the turbo trainer i would definitely advocate triathletes to do as much um, outdoor riding as they can because it's amazing how much that really does rein in your specific bike handling skills and the ways in which you can produce power on the bike um and uh, everything that comes with uh yeah the the general skills of, of riding in um the general skills of riding and handling a bike <laughs> um you know the, the there's a lot to be said for um the manipulation of your power in the pedal stroke and riding a turbo trainer you are absolutely fixed in one position um whereas riding outside on the road there is it's a whole different um turn of power it's you're able to move your ass up and down the the saddle you're a you are able to stand up sit down now and again and um those small micro adjustments in how you're pedaling can have a dramatic impact on your power output um and your ability to um to turn the pedals like that so there's a lot to be said for outdoor riding. So that's what I'd say in general. And and your skills and your bike handling skills will come with that. Um, there's not necessarily a, a specific emphasis on devoting sessions to do skills, quote unquote skills, but just riding outside more will, will definitely benefit you. Um, the next question I had was, um, is, <laughs> is too much coffee bad for you? What should I limit myself to? And uh, is there any cutoff times? Um, this is hugely, hugely individual. And obviously, the reason I pulled on pulled on this one is because we've already talked about it a little bit in terms of caffeine consumption earlier in the podcast. This is hugely individual. Some people will tolerate um, no more than 100 grams a day. Sorry, 100 milligrams a day. Or some people will be able to tolerate up to a thousand milligrams a day um we know that caffeine has a benefit for performance and taking it directly pre-performance or an up to an hour pre-performance can have a, a dramatic impact on that but let's just talk about the health um from a health perspective so outside of training i would say that generally speaking um you should try and limit your coffee to no, no more than 200 grams a day sorry i keep saying grams i mean milligrams <laughs> i do mean milligrams make sure you don't have 200 grams a day because that will kill you um, um <clears throat> so if you think that generally speaking a strong coffee is between 50 and 80 milligrams uh, of caffeine Somewhere between 200 to 250 milligrams of caffeine a day is a, is appropriate for most individuals. When you're going above that, I would ask yourself, what's the reason for you needing this excessive amount of caffeine? Is the reason that actually you're just trying to mask fatigue? Because to be honest, if we go right back when we were 16, 17, 18 years old, and we weren't drinking coffee and weren't drinking tea we probably had more energy we had we felt a lot better in ourselves we had less headaches and so on why is it that we need caffeine now or we feel like we need caffeine now is it just something we've got used to doing yeah it definitely is is are we probably having less sleep than we were at that age yes we definitely are 
And we've got more life stresses now than we did have when we were 18. Yes, we definitely have. But these are all these contributing factors which which make us feel like we need more caffeine. You know, <clears throat> we need more caffeine. <clears throat> Sorry, croak throat. We need more caffeine to perform better at work so we can chase for that next pay slip or whatever it might might be, that next promotion. And if we're not mentally switched on and performing well, then we feel like um, we need to have another swig of coffee to, to switch on and, and not drift off to sleep sat in front of the, the computer screens, whatever it might be. But I would ask yourself, if you're having, if you feel like you're having an excessive amount of caffeine, what are the reasons for that? Because more likely than not, it's something that you could change in your lifestyle. It might just be that you're not having enough sleep. And we get we often get into this cycle of not sleeping enough because we're having too much caffeine in later in the day. And then the cycle gets worse and worse and worse. So um, yeah, to answer your question directly, cut off times. I would say I would advocate no caffeine after about two or three o'clock in the afternoon for most individuals. Some individuals, it'll be even earlier than that. Some individuals can have it later than that. But most people, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, in terms of the rate of caffeine, if you're having more than two or three cups of coffee a day, like I was start talking about in the, uh, the earlier part of this podcast, then realistically, you're having too much caffeine. And you need to ask yourself, um, have I just got into this cycle of uh, drinking more coffee and therefore thinking that I need more coffee in order to keep that keep that balance right or do you just need more sleep or do you need to improve your nutrition or do you need to have less external stresses um yeah something to consider um but yeah the <clears throat> to answer your question also which are the kind of the main main part of the question um there is definitely too much caffeine um in terms of health health kind of precautions um too much Coffee can lead to an increase in things like blood pressure, um, which is a precursor of heart disease and, and so forth. Um, insomnia, you know, shakiness, headaches. But at the end of the day, being addicted to anything is not good. And if you're not careful, it can quite easily spiral out of control. And I'm sure, just like me, when I was talking about it at the start of this podcast, you're nowhere near that kind of level. But equally, um, you don't want to be reliant on it. And uh, yeah, anything more than two or three cups a day. And I would I would say that you need to kind of start thinking a bit more critically in terms of, um, you know, reining that back in. <clears throat> that is going to be the end of today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening and see you again next time.